We're looking into the book of James again tonight. We are starting the second, the uh, second eight weeks, if you will. We never got through the first eight weeks. Uh, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to be studying the book of James. When we finish this up, then we'll go into the book of Philemon. And it's been probably about three weeks in the book of Philemon. So tonight, if you look with me in James chapter 4, verse 13 and 17. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanish away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boasting, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In the Word of God we find that James chapter 4 opened up with war with God, and James chapter 4 closes with the will of God. In many respects these two things go together, warring with God and the will of God. What do I mean by that? Well, if an individual is out of the will of God, out of the plan of God, that individual is no longer a peacemaker, that individual becomes a troublemaker. If you notice in the Word of God, you'll find that uh, Jonah, or not Jonah, but Lot, he moved into Sodom. As a result of that, he brought havoc to his entire family. We read in the Word of God how that the man by the name of David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And only did he bring harm to his own life, he brought harm to his family, but he also brought tremendous harm to the kingdom of God. And then we know Jonah, because he himself disobeyed God, he almost caused a whole boatload of sailors to go to a watery grave. And there's something in common with all three of these individuals, and that is that they themselves uh, had a wrong attitude toward the Word of God. They had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. May I say that many people struggle with the will of God. And yet we ought not struggle with the will of God. We ought to submit to the will of God. I will say this, sometimes the will of God is easier to find than it is to live with. You ever been there? Sometimes the will of God is easier to find than it is to live with. But if you and I will have the right attitude as we approach God's word, as we approach God's will, then we'll find out that that's the safest place in all the world to be. Running from God is a wrong, but running to God is always right. And we often think, well, I'm just going to run from the will of God and everything will be fine. Jonah did that, and he found that the ready way was not the right way. Uh, the, the, the atmosphere was right, not a cloud in the sky, had money to buy his boat ticket, uh, the boat was getting ready to sell off. Man, the ready way was not the right way. And it almost brought him and the entire sailors to a watery grave. The fact of the matter is, by now, every one of us should know that God has a plan and a purpose for our life. You are not some freak of nature. You're not some accident that happened. You are very special. You're very unique to God. I don't care how old you are, how young, how educated or uneducated. I don't care what side of the tracks you live on or if you live on the tracks themselves. I'm here to tell you, you are very special and unique with God. And with that being said, God has a special and a unique plan for each and every one of us. But the enemy of our soul wants to try to tell us that we're different, that God doesn't care about us, God has no plan for us, and it's sera, sera. It's not true. God has a plan for your life. And God's plan will always come from God's heart. Please understand that. God's plan is not to hurt. God's plan is not to rob, kill, destroy. That's the enemy's job. God's plan is that you can have life and that you and I can have that life abundantly. 
And too many Christians, we don't know what abundant life is. We're too busy trying to scratch out a living to really enjoy and embrace life the way the Lord wants it. And sometimes we're too busy trying to ascertain what God's will is that we fail to live in the will of God. So with that being said, the God that we serve, He has a plan specifically for your life and for my life individually. Now because our God is a God of wisdom, we've got to trust that God will put us where we need to be, the right place, the right time, for the right purpose. And the more we obey God in the smaller things, the more we'll understand His will about the bigger things. We're always waiting for something big to happen. But if you and I will be faithful in the small things of life, it becomes second nature to do the bigger things of life because we've listened to God in the smaller things. Does that make sense? We wait for the big light to click on. We go, what do I do? Well, just obey in the simple things. But because we serve a God of wisdom, He knows where we ought to be. He knows how to get us where we want to be. And He knows when it ought to occur. Secondly, I remind you that we serve a God of love. The fact of the matter that our God is a God of love tells me that He must desire the very best for His children. God wants the best for you. But what do we often think? He's holding back. He's holding out. He's not giving me everything I should have. Blah, blah, blah. We've all been there. But God wants the very best for His. If our fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to those that ask. With that being said, I remind you, He must desire the very best for you. He wants the very best for me. Too many Christians look at the will of God as if though it's a bitter pill to swallow. That we think if I just do what God says to do, it's going to be hard, hard, hard. But instead of seeing God's will as a gracious evidence of His love for you and His love for me. How many times have I heard people say, well, I'd obey the will of God, but I'm just afraid it has me to do something I don't want to do. I, 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 I do what God asked me, and I'm just afraid I won't be able to do what He's asked me to do. I, I think I know what His will is, but I, I can't do that. God made a mistake. No. Friend, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Amen. Jonah was on a boat in a storm out of the will of God. Paul was on a boat in a storm in the will of God. So you don't always dictate uh, the will of God by circumstances. You follow the peace of God in your heart. If you have the peace of God ruling and reigning in your heart, you can rest assured the God of peace is directing the steps that you have. I remember years ago when I was served in the church with the same pastor, two churches for 12 years. Started, I got saved in the church, I became the Royal Ranger Director, drove the bus, sang in the choir, uh, became the youth pastor of the church, became the assistant pastor of the church, and finally became the associate pastor of that church, and they wanted me to pastor it one day. But having said that, I was with that pastor for 12 years. Finally, after he left that particular church, and we resigned at the same time, I thought, well, what do I do? Had a lot of younger guys say, do this, do this, do this. Had a lot of older guys say, do this, do this, do this. And I was as confused as a termite and yo-yo. I didn't know what to do. You ever been there? So finally, I began to read the Word of God, and I saw the wisdom that Rehoboam lacked. And the Bible said about Rehoboam that he did not listen to the old wise counselors. He listened to the young ones. And as a result, brought more havoc upon the nation of Israel. I listened to the older wisdom of the men, and I listened to the voice of God, and I obeyed, and it worked out. 
After I served with him at this other church for four more years roughly, uh, I felt like I had gleaned all I could glean the last 12 years as a, as, in the, as a second fiddle, so to speak. So I said to myself, God, what do you want me to do? I prayed. I was on a 21-day fast. And about the 13th, that, that 13th day of the fast, I was at a hospital in Abington, Virginia. And the Lord spoke specifically from my heart, to my heart, from the Word of God. And I got the direction that I needed. And what it was, was the will of God. And he wanted me to pastor. And guess what? This old boy didn't want to pastor. I wanted to be a missionary evangelist. I still want to be a missionary evangelist. And when I grow up, bless God, I'm going to be a missionary evangelist. One of these days, that's what I want to be. But God said, pastor. And I thought, God, how in the world do you get three and four sermons together every, every, every week? I mean, I was spending 15, 20 hours on a, on a devotion. How are you going to do this full time? I mean, it just, it just how do you, I don't want to do this, God, but, but I submitted to the will of God. And it's amazing when you're in God's will, what God can do that he can't do when you're outside of it. Church, the safest place in all the world is in the will of God. The most dangerous place in all the world is outside of the will of God. Now, let me say this. The will of God sometimes we think comes just like that and sometimes it don't come like that. The will of God will grow on you. It won't let go of you. It grows on you every day. Sometimes we think something's the will of God. One good burp and it'll be gone. It's indigestion. You, you ate too much pizza, okay, the night before. So one good burp and it can all be gone. But the will of God will grow on you. Again, the will of God comes from the heart of God. Any questions so far? Any comments? Supposed to be a teaching time, not a preaching time. All righty, here we go. Now, in the section I read into your hearing tonight, let me point out with you, if I may, it's talking about three attitudes toward the will of God. Three attitudes. First of all, ignoring the will of God, disobeying the will of God, and obeying the will of God. Those are three things that I see from this passage of Scripture tonight. Now perhaps, first of all, let's talk about ignoring the will of God. Of the three attitudes, only one's we're supposed to have, and that one is, let's obey the will. Obey. Now in this first section in James chapter 4, 13 and 14 and verse 16, if you want to look at it again, you'll see here that these people were ignoring the will of God. Perhaps James was addressing a, a people in the church assembly that were businessmen. And maybe they were making their plans of, 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 of trying to go out and, and, and do business. And they were planning their strategies and everything they were going to do. And they were, they've done it so many times in the past. We've done it this way, done it this way, done it this way. And bless God, we've got our plans. And we're going to go out there and we're going to make money. And we're going to shake the trees and the fruit's going to fall from it. And we're going to prosper. One problem. I never see one time where they mentioned the will of God. I never see one time in the scripture where this church, the businessmen in this, this church ever sought the face of God to ascertain what the will of God was. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Let me tell you, I don't want to do things and ask God to bless it. I want to find out what God is blessing and do those things. And there's a big difference. I remember a preacher years and years ago, he got an invitation to pastor in Hawaii. He did not know what God wanted, so he told his wife, he said, Honey, you go pack while I go pray. He had already made up his mind. It doesn't work that way either. James presented four arguments that basically revealed the foolishness of, of ignoring the will of God. First of all, the complexity of life in verse 13. 
Think of everything that's involved in life. Today, tomorrow, getting up, going to sleep, eating, working. Today, tomorrow, buying, selling, winning, losing, going here, going there. Life is made up of people, places, and projects. Before, by the time our feet hit the floor every day, have you ever asked yourself, how many decisions am I going to have to make today? And how many decisions am I going to make that don't just affect me, but those decisions are going to affect my family, going to affect my career, going to affect other people? Almost on a daily basis, I talk to somebody, I talk to people that are reaping foolish decisions that were made yesterday. It happens. You do them, I do them. We reap the consequences of that. But everything that we do has decisions. And decisions are hard to come by to what to do sometimes. I remember an old drill sergeant one time uh, put a, a private on KP. And he said, son, take all the big potatoes and put them in this pile. And take all the small potatoes and put them in this pile. And when I come back in an hour, that pile had better be empty. They better be separated. And the DI came back about 50 minutes later and said, how are you getting on with your work, boy? He said, Sarge, these decisions are killing me. And sometimes small decisions like what pile does a potato go in can hurt us. What about the decisions we have to make every day of our life? We must know the mind of God. We can't just guess. We can't just depend upon experience necessarily. But we need to know the mind of God. And that's why I think the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts said, It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Apart from will of God, life's a mystery. But when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and even then the physical world around us begins to take on new meaning and new hope as well. Let me say it again. We make critical decisions every day. I must know the will of God for my life. And I'm going to tell you something. My opinion, for whatever it's worth, and opinions are like noses. We all have them, some just longer than the others. We understand that. But don't jump into something if you're not sure. There's nothing wrong with waiting. Not because of unbelief, but waiting for clarity. Now, God, I don't, I, I'm not trying to ignore your will. I'm not trying to disobey your will. I'm just not clear on the will. So, Lord, I'm standing before you. I'm seeking your face. I'm seeking your word for you to speak to me from your word. Through, some way, let me know. And then when I get that peace... Then we move on. But more times, let me say something else if I may. How many times have you walked down the road of life and here's a major decision? Do I go this way or do I go this way? Are you with me? Is this the will of God or is this the will of God? And we toy with it. And we toy with it. And sometimes more problems come from indecision than comes our way from wrong decision. So here we are at the fork of the road. Do I go this way or this way? So, okay, I go this way. And then all of a sudden you go that way and you think, man, that was wrong. I'm out of the will of God, but it's too late to go back. What do I do? God in his mercy and grace many times allows these two forks to meet again. You with me? And then we say, God, I may have blown it back here, but Lord, I learned something from it. So now we are here again. And he puts us back on the right road. To me, that, does that make sense? That's the mercy and the grace of God. And we've all been on that wrong path from time to time. 
We didn't do it through ignorance, hopefully, but we did it. And the truth of the matter is God can bring us back to where we need to be. So he talks about ignoring the will of God. The argument against uh, foolishness of ignoring it, again, is the complexity of life. Secondly, the uncertainty of life in verse 14. The statement's based on Proverbs 27.1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. These businessmen were making plans for a whole year, and they didn't have an idea what was going to happen today. Notice what he said. We will go, we will stay a year, we will buy, we will sell, and we will make profit. Their attitude reminds me of the farmer that Jesus talked about in Luke 12, 16. Remember, they had a bumper, had a boom crop that year. And they said, what did they say? And I would say, I would say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine eat, ease, eat, drink, and be merry. We're going to make bigger barns. And yet the scripture says, thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Life is uncertain to us, but life is not uncertain to God. And God can tell us when to build the bigger barns. And God can tell us when to occupy the barns that we have. God can tell us the next step that we're supposed to take. And thank God he can tell us when we're supposed to take it. Now I guess I'm a whole lot different than a lot of folk. I, I've had roommates in college tell me, he said, you know what? God gives me something to do and I just go do it. He said, but with you, you pray and ask God what to do every turn. I want to, friend, because I've got to know what God wants. I've blown it many of a time. But I have got to follow that peace in my heart. I don't want to be talked into something. I don't want to be talked out of something. I want to listen to the voice. I want to listen to the word I want to be judged by. And I believe that God's concerned about every detail of our life. From the car you drive to the clothes that you wear. And you may think I'm crazy. But I don't go every morning and say, now, Lord, what's your will for me to wear today? I don't do that. I go and say, dear God, what can I fit in today? Most of us do that don't we? But we need to know the mind of God. When we're in his will, can we be confident about tomorrow? Because when we do that, we know for sure it is he who is leading us. And then we talked about the brevity of life in verse 14. This is a repeated theme that we find in scripture to us. Life seems long, we measure it in years, but compared to eternity, life is a vapor. We measure our years each day each, we measure our years in span of our birthday. But God tells us to number our days. And the older we get, the faster it goes. When I was a kid, I'd come home from school. I'd change my clothes. And I'd go and I'd play from 3.30 to dark 30. It seemed like an eternity. I wake up in the morning now and come to work at 5, 5.30 in the morning. Turn around twice and the day's gone. What happened? A man told me the other day, he said, boy, life sneaks up when you get old. And the guy said, nope, it took a gallop toward my house. We're too soon old, we're too late smart. Birthdays tell us how long we've been on the road, but they don't tell us how much progress we've made, brothers and sisters, if we can do it all for the will of God. The book of Job, James borrowed a lot of figures from the book of Job. Notice he said in Job 7, 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Verse 9, The cloud is consumed and vanished away. Chapter 8, 9, Our days upon the earth are as a shadow. 
chapter 9, verse 23. Now my days are swifter than a post. Again, that's referring to our royal carriers that hasten their missions. And then in chapter 4, or 9, 26, they are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hastes the prey. And then chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, he said, Man that is born a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Again, we count our years on each birthday. But God says, number your days. After all, we live one day at a time. That's all we've got. We have no promise of the rest of this day. And since life is so fragile, and since life is so quickly passing us by, we cannot afford to spend our life. We can't afford to waste our life. Therefore, God give us wisdom to invest our life in things that happen for time as well as for eternity. Many of us in this room, if we live to be old people, we've lived more than half of our life. And some of us, probably three-fourths of our life. When you think about your own immortality, I tell my wife quite often, here I am, almost 65 years old, and what in the world have I accomplished? I am my worst enemy. I said, I thought I'd be so much further down the road. I thought I'd accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God. You ever feel that way? We're on critic, but I'm going to tell you something, friend. There's not a move in my life that I've made as a Christian that I've not sensed the presence of God and the leading of it. Oh, I've made up, made mistakes, but he's always rectified those for me. But I'm so grateful you can follow that peace of God. God reveals his will and his word, and yet most people ignore the word of God. The Bible gives us precepts, the Bible gives us principles, and the Bible gives us promises that we can live our life on, and that's how we know the will of God. Say it with me. The will of God comes from the heart of God, and the Word of God reveals the heart of God. Read the Word to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be what? Holy. Praise God. And then he talked about the frailty of man in verse 16. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. May I just say this? Man's boasting is covering weakness. Man's boasting is covering a weakness. Someone said, man purposes, but God, uh, a man uh, uh, proposes, but God disposes. Solomon said it this way. The lot is cast in the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Man cannot control the future. We don't have the wisdom to see the future. We don't have the power to control the future. But I know somebody that knows the future. Amen. And the steps of a righteous man is ordered of God. Do you believe that? Yeah. Then we ought not fret about tomorrow. We ought not fret about tomorrow. The steps of a righteous man is ordered of God. I want to say this again because some of you have not heard it. One night, one morning, I was out, or one evening on a Sunday, out in the backyard studying for Sunday night. And there's a little bird up a tree, chirp, 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 chirp. And I said, shut up, bird, I'm busy. Chirp, 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 chirp. Shoo, go away, bird. Another limb, chirp, 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 chirp. I said, you dumb bird, leave me alone. You don't understand, I've got to study. I'm under a clock here. I've got to get this done. You don't know what it's like to have to work for a living. You crazy bird, chirp, 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 chirp. You don't have to buy food. You don't have to have a house. You don't have no insurance. You don't. Don't wait a minute. Who's stupid here? Me or the bird? 
If God takes care of the birds, how much more is he going to take care of me? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, and I am the apple of his eye. So now, every time I go out looking for a bird, I say, everything's going to be all right. We were out not long ago somewhere, and I told him, I said, it's going to be a good day. I said, this is the birds chirping. Hear me, friend. If God takes care of a bird, are you of less value than the bird? And a bird cannot, a swallow cannot fall to the ground without the knowledge of Almighty God. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And he will lead us according to what? Because his will comes from his heart. And if God takes care of the birds that don't have a job and they, they eat, they don't have insurance, they haven't seen any sick, how much more will he take care of me and you? Thank God we can be in his will. Man cannot control future events. As I say, we have no wisdom to see the future, no power to control it. For us to boast about that sin and making ourselves to be God. Friends, it's foolish to ignore the will of God. It's like going through the jungle and not having at nighttime and not having a light. It's like flying in the clouds and not having an instrument rating. It's like, it's like going from here to Canada in your car and don't have a map or a GPS. Many years ago, my wife and I went to Sweetwater, Tennessee. Have you ever been there, Sweetwater, Tennessee? There's a beautiful cave there, the Lost Cavern, Lost Cave, whatever it is. And uh, I kind of had a penchant toward it, walked in, there's a moonshine still sitting there, reminded me of back home. But you go in that cave and you go around the cave, it's all lit up. And if I remember correctly, it's been many years, there's a lot, what they call a lost sea, and you can take a boat ride in that, in that cavern or that cave. And I was told by our guy that all the fish are blind. And the reason they're blind is because they haven't seen any light. And then we got around up there, and the guy said, we're going to turn this light off and see how dark it really is in here. And he said, if I remember, he said, stay close to the guide. And the lights go off, and I'm going, dude, this is dark. It's like looking into a coal bin at nighttime. Anybody know what coal is? It was dark. But the point being, stay close to your guide. In the dark world in which we go through today, stay close to your guide, who is Jesus Christ. We may not know always the right way, but well do we know our guide. We may not always understand the way he's leading us, but well shall we follow our guide. Because he's already been to your tomorrow. He's already been to my tomorrow. Amen. Questions or comments? Might as well preach. Nobody wants to talk. I'm going to get into that in a few minutes. The question was, we know to be in the Word of God, but what else can we do to, to know the will of God besides that? Practice His presence, prayer and worship, understanding His voice. We're going to talk a bit more about that in just a moment. But, uh, and the main thing, Zanina, if I don't get there tonight, I hope I will. The main thing is, like I said earlier, if we just obey God in the small things, it becomes habit to obey Him in the bigger things that we're often afraid of. You follow me? When you begin to trust Him in the smaller things of life, 
and you know that's the will of God. And I'm going to talk about some of that momentarily, okay? Hope we'll get back to it. Okay, we talked about uh, disobeying or ignoring the will of God. Let's talk about disobeying the will in verse 17. To him that knoweth to do good and does not do it, to him is what? Sin. Now the people that disobey the will of God, their attitude is even more prideful than those that ignore it. Because those that flat out disobey the will of God are saying, God, I know what you want me to do, but I don't want to do it because I know about, more about this than you do. And I'm just going to be the captain of my own vessel here, and it is what it is. And there's a danger with that. Peter said, For it's better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment to deliver unto them. Why do people know the will of God and deliberately shun it? One reason is pride. That's one reason is pride. P-R-I, that big old I, P-R-I-D-E. I want my way. I want to do it this way. I know more about it than you do. I heard a preacher one time command God to do something from the Word. He said, I found it right here in the Word. And he said, God, the reason I'm doing this is because I know more about this than you do. I can mention his name, and you know exactly who this evangelist is. Now, friends, that's haughty. That's prideful. But I heard him say it. I know more about this God than you do. Absolutely. And most of the time it is pride and fear and other things too. But fear, if you take the word fear, F-E-A-R, make an acrostic out of it, false evidence appearing real. That's what fear is. It's false evidence appearing real. And faith is just the opposite of fear. And sometimes we have more faith in our fear than we have faith in the Word of God. Because it's the way we're kind of born into it, I guess. Fear is a learned behavior at times. But once again, I've already said pride. Man likes to boast that he's the captain of his own ship. Man has accomplished so many marvelous things in his own life. We know that. That we think we can do anything. I think another reason that we ignore or disobey the will of God is the ignorance that we have according to the Word of God. We have, we're ignorant toward the nature of God's will. Let me say it again. We're ignorant toward the nature of God's will. We think it is a, a do it or leave it proposition, and it's not. We act as if the will of God is something we can accept or something that we can reject. It's not an either or, leave it or receive it proposition. It's not an alternative. The will of God is an obligation. Why? Because he is my Savior, but he wants me to let him be Lord. It's not enough for me to say I'm saved and ship my soul off to heaven. But if he's the Lord, I will obey him in the simplistic things of this world and even in the greater things of this world as well. So the will of God is not an option. It's an obligation. It's not a take it or a leave it proposition in this world. And we understand he's the Savior and Lord. We're his, we're his children and servants as well, so we want to obey him. So to treat the will of God lightly is to invite the chastening of God in our lives. I heard somebody one time say, well, the Lord's just chastening me. I said, well, that means you rebelled. I ain't done nothing wrong. Then why is he chasing you? The Lord, the Lord only chastens us to bring us back into the will of God. And I'm here to tell you, friend, a lot of people say, I don't believe the Lord does that. Well, then he don't love you. To those whom he loves, he chastens 
If we are out of the will of God, His grace and His mercy will chasten us, take us to the spiritual woodshed, if you will, and bring us back into the will of God. There's not a one of us as a parent that loves our kids that we will not add the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge when they're out of the will. And what we want to do is not break their spirits, but to alter their wills. Right? When I was, anybody get, you get a spanking with a switch when you're a kid? You know what? Not the switches on the wall. Remember what a switch was? I had to go to the tree and get my own. And I think they had a yardstick on the side of the refrigerator that said, I need thee every hour. Don't have one of those? I probably, probably should have got a whole lot more than I did. But when I got spanked, my mom would say, this hurts me more than it does you. And I thought, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Until I had my own kids, and I would say, this hurts me. They didn't believe it either, but it does. When you spank your kids, it hurts you more than it does them in many respects. But why do you do it? Because you love them. I said many times, I love you too much to let you get away with this. I love you too much to let you continue to rebel. I've got, I didn't tell them this, but they understood. We've got to break that stubborn streak. We've got to break that wheel without destroying your spirit. And there's a fine line. And God does the same thing. When we get out of the will of God, he wants to chasten us to come back into the will of God. And nobody likes chasing. It's not fun. And it doesn't last forever, only until he brings us back to the place where we need to be. The Bible and human experiences are full of witnesses to this truth. And the servant which know the Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Now what happens to Christians who deliberately disobey the known will of God? They're chastened. They're chastened. How does God chase us? My mother and dad could whip me and I'd laugh. I was going to be proud enough, bless God, and dad and mom whipped me. Dad back there <laughs> just caused me to laugh. And the more I'd laugh, the harder mom would spank me. And he thought it was a hoot. Spankings didn't bother me. You take away my bicycle? No. My sisters take away their bicycle. They could care less. Spank them. Oh, the, the world falls apart. God deals with us as individuals. The way he may chasten you may be different than the way he chastens me. But he does it in such a way as to get my attention and to bring me back where I need to be. Now, another thing, if we do not obey the chastening of the Lord, it's possible we can lose our way with God. Not only can we lose our rewards... There are many times that, you know, you look in 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about that our works are going to be tried by fire. And uh, it's going to be gold, precious stone. And the fire is going to purify them more. But if our works are of wood, hay, and stubble, the fire is going to burn them up. We ourselves will be saved, but our, our works will be lost. So there are times if we're out of the will of God, we can be saved, but we're going to lose a lot of rewards that God wants us to have. I could give several illustrations here, but I won't tonight because of time. But there can be times, I believe, we can lose our own eternal salvation if we are deliberately disobeying the will of God to the point that we're in some type of sin and we continue to sin against the grace of God. So again, disobeying God's will today may not seem like a serious thing, but it'll be a very serious thing when we stand before the judgment bar of God and He examines our lives. What about obeying the will of God? We've talked about ignoring the will of God and disobeying the will of God, the only thing we can do now really is to obey the will of God. If the Lord will, if the Lord will, that should not be a phrase that just rolls off of our lips. That should be a lifestyle that stems from our heart. 
in the way that we conduct our life. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Many times we read of the Apostle Paul. In many of the letters he wrote to his friends and to colleagues, he often talked about the will of God and talked about wanting to do the will of God in his own life. Paul did not consider the will of God a chain around his neck to shackle him. Paul considered the will of God freedom. The will of God is an open door. The will of God, if you will, to be a key that would open more doors for him. The will of God is a great place to be. Everything in the universe operates according to laws, does it not? Everything in the universe operates the laws. If we cooperate with the laws and obey them, the universe can work well with us. We have 98 out here. Two lanes going north and two lanes going south. There's a place to tell you where to turn off, a place to tell you where to do this. If we all obey those rules of the road and do the 55 miles an hour, and do the speed limit, and do the signal lights, and do everything's work. But you get some joker coming down the wrong side of the road. You get somebody doing a hundred up through there. We got some serious problem. You take aviation. There's a lot of rules. Trust me, I know. And aviation, as a pilot, I understand. If they go out and, and they they build the airplanes according to the engineer specs. If the pilots obey the laws and the rules of aviation, if the control tower do what they're supposed to do, if all the pilots will fly the altitudes and the, and the speed they're supposed to, everything will be like clockwork. It'll be phenomenal. But you let somebody mess up the law. Let somebody mess up the wheel. Let somebody mess up the machinery. There can be damage, there can be death, there can be mayhem, and there can be tremendous financial loss. The same thing can be said about the will of God within our lives. It can be compared uh, to the laws built in the universe with this exception. Those laws are general, but God has a unique plan specifically designed for each and every one of us. No two of us are exactly alike, and God's will is not exactly the same for every one of us. No two lives are planned according to the same pattern. To be sure, there are some things that we as Christians, we go through together as the will of God. We understand that. Together as Christians, we all, we yield away from temptation. We all, uh, we all uh, avoid sin. Uh, we all... Uh, want to rejoice. We all want to pray. We all want to be faithful. We're supposed to all pay our tithe. We're supposed to witness. We're supposed to serve. These are things we all do. But God has a specific plan, a specific will for every one of us. We don't all have the same ministry. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. God has made us unique. And when he made you, he threw away the mold. When he made me, he threw away the mold. And what the enemy of our soul wants, what society wants, is to throw you away with that mold and tell you you're nothing, you're nobody, and that you're just scum of this earth. But in reality, if you understand, you are somebody because God does not make junk. And God put gifts and abilities and talents in you that you knew nothing about. But if you and I will simply listen to the Word of God, obey the voice of God, He will do things in your life that you never dreamt could ever be possible. It's important that we have the right attitude toward the will of God. Now, some people think that God's will is cold and personal machine. God starts it going, and we've got to keep the thing going. And if we don't keep it going, we're going to die of natural causes. That's not the way it is. We are not a machine. We are individuals. We're human. 
And with that being said, I remind you, think about this way. We're a body. We're warm nature. There's blood flowing through us. If my hand breaks, I don't die. I'm limited, but the rest of my body steps up to the plate to do what my broken hand can't do. And sometimes when we get out of the will of God, other members of the body have to step up to the plate to kind of take over some of the things that perhaps we ourselves have not been able to do. Does that make sense? When we get out of the will of God, it's not the end of everything. We suffer. But what God cannot control, he'll chasten us to put us back where we need to be. Let me hasten tonight, if I may. The believer's relationship to the will of God is a growing experience. First of all, we should know his will. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 14 says, The God of our Father hath chosen thee, that thou should know his will, and see the just one, and should hear the voice of his mouth. The will of God is not difficult to discover. The will of God sometimes is difficult to obey. He's more willing to reveal his will than many of us are to obey his will. But to glorify him and have the best life we can have here in eternity, we should submit to the will of God. It's been said that the obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge, and that's true. God will reveal his will not to the curious, not to the careless, and not to the prayerless. God will reveal his will to his children that have a relationship with him. And that's important that we maintain the relationship. I am so concerned, troubled, by the fact that in this post-Christian society called America that many times we tack, tack God on to our day and we build God around our day rather than building our day around God. And I'm so fearful that we go through the forms and rituals in America of going to church and saying that is serving God when it's not the same. Can I quote you, my brother, what you told me last week? I put you on the spot. you mind? That was phenomenal. If I'm wrong... Our brother was baptized last Wednesday night, and you said, there's a difference between giving the Lord your heart versus giving him your life. That's resonated with me all week. And there's a difference. We want to give him our, our heart and say, okay, God, I'm going to go to heaven and I die, but don't cramp my lifestyle now. But when we give him our life, to do with as you please. He wants to make his will known to you Amen. and to me. The safest place is his will. But we must stop by merely knowing some of God's will. God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what Paul said. Now it's wrong to want to know God's will about spiritual matters, but then ignore his will in other matters. You with me? We want to know the will of God in all matters that pertain to life. And there are times, it don't, it's not blanket in the Word of God who you're going to marry, what job you're going to go, what school you go to. That's why I say if we learn to trust the voice of God in smaller things, we understand the voice of God in bigger things. Now, it didn't say anywhere in the Bible I was to marry my wife. Her name wasn't in there. I looked. 
there was a little girl I, I wanted to date when I was a teenager growing up. Uh, what was her name? I forgot what her name Sharon. Her name was Sharon. And I said, God, is it your will to marry this girl? And I turned over and I am the rose of Sharon. Oh, her name's in the Bible. That's not the way you ascertain the will of God. But it was in praying and getting to know the voice of God and understanding the nature of God and understanding the word of God. Then when the two of us got together, I ran from God. Another story for another day. But the will of God grows on you. And she's been growing on me now for almost 39 years. I believe it was the will of God. She knew it was before I did. Thank God she didn't tell me I wouldn't be married today. I'd have run more. <laughs> you got to understand, I was in Bible college. Now, this is, I say this with tongue in cheek, but I was proposed to three times in college. They used to call it, no, you wouldn't want to. But thank God. <laughs> They used to call it Southeastern Bridal College. Remember those days? One girl said, the Lord spoke to my heart. You're supposed to be my husband. I said, when the Lord speaks to me, I'll talk about it, but have a good life. And I was gone. <laughs> Scared me. Secondly, not only does God want to know his will. Secondly, God wants us to understand his will. The Bible said in Ephesians 5.17, Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is where spiritual wisdom comes in. A child can know the will of the Father, but he may not always understand the will of the Father. And sometimes we're reluctant to do the will of God because we don't always understand what he's up to. That's why I say we may not always understand the way the Lord leads us, but well can we trust the guide and the God that's doing the leading. So it's one thing to know the will of God, but we may not understand the will of God. We see that many times in the Word. The child knows what, but not the why. And you, think, you know, your kids, they know what you want. They don't know why you want it. And there are times God tells us we know what He wants, but we don't understand why He wants it. Why am I going here, God? I thought I should be over here, but now, because He knows what He's doing. As the friends of Jesus Christ, we've got the privilege of knowing what God does, what he does. He said in Psalm 103, He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Israelites knew what God was doing, but Moses understood why he was doing what he was doing. Are you with me? I want to come to that place where I don't want to know just what he's doing. God, let me know why. Amen. But if I don't know the why... Give me the grace to follow the what. Does that make sense? I hope so. Also, we must learn to prove the will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We prove the will of God. Now, the Greek word verb here means to prove by experience. We learn to determine the will of God by working at it. This is what I wanted to tell you right here at Rosanna. We learn to prove the will of God by working at it. The more we obey, the easier it is to discover what God wants us to do. It's something like learning to swim. Anybody in this room can't swim? Float like a rock, whatever? Some of you can. Okay. When I first learned to swim, they threw me in the pool. I got out and beat the guy up. 
I mean, I was mad. I about drowned. And he's a big old boy, but I didn't care. He made me mad. I couldn't swim, and I got scared. When I began to try to learn to swim, it was difficult. But when I learned to swim, it became easier and easier and easier. When you first begin to ascertain the will of God, it's like swimming that first time. It's hard. You make it hard. We make it hard. We, we question ourselves. But once we learn the voice, once we recognize the voice, once the will of God grows, it becomes easier and easier and easier for us to hear the voice of God. People who keep asking, how do I determine God's will for my life? What we're basically saying is, we never really tried to ascertain the will of God. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to be honest. We need to spend time in His presence to listen to the Word of God. We learn from success as well as from failures. I've learned as much from failing in God's will than I have from obeying it. Yes, ma'am. When I first went into ministry, I, uh, I ran. <laughs> I always run. I felt the Lord speaking to my heart. I had listened to the voice, and I felt the Lord call me to some type of ministry. I got involved in driving the church bus. I sang the choir, and I can't sing. I did Royal Rangers. I went on visitation. I did everything I could. I painted the building. I saw anything. I, I loved it. I ate it. I could, I'd go off home from work, take a bath, and put my clothes on and head to the streets. I wanted to work for God. But I felt the Lord speak to me about specifically for a full-time Christian vocation. Of, 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 I thought evangelism. So I prayed about it. Now, Lord, if this is you, please confirm it. Now, call it lack of faith on my part. Could have been. Personally, I don't think we need fleeces today, but we still use them. And the reason I don't think we need fleeces today, which I, have, I used it, is because we have the Holy Spirit confirming. Okay? But I, I'm a young Christian. I, okay, God, now, I want to be like the Bible said. Here's the fleece. If this was you, confirm it. So on a Friday night prayer meeting, we used to have about nine or ten of us get together. And we were in the uh, prayer meeting, and somewhere around halfway through it, there was an utterance in tongues, interpretation, and basically the, the gist of it, I've called one of you to preach my word, get on the stick. I got up and I ran. I run a lot. And a friend of mine came to the room and said, was that for you? And I said, what? Was that interpretation for you? I said, prayed so. He said, I knew it. I said, how? Well, first of all, it's confirmation. He said, I had my eyes open. There was a bright light came in the room, circled the room, and went to your forehead and disappeared. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. I put no stock in it. That's what he saw. More power to him. Did nothing for me. The point I'm getting at, God confirmed it to me through the tongue interpretation. That's what I asked him to do. Then I said, okay, God, if this is really you, I want to talk to my pastor, and he'll confirm it. So I made an appointment. Go to his house. We chit-chat. What can I do for you? Now, boo-hoo-hoo, I'm afraid the Lord called me to preach. Hallelujah. I've known it for several months. I went, what? Why didn't you tell me? He said, because had I told you, you may have thought man called you. And sometimes the calling is the only thing that's going to keep you going. And you may know God's called, but man has confirmed. Now we're okay. Now, God, if this is really you, one more time, one more time. 
So it had it that we had a preaching service for youth one Sunday morning. Many of you've heard it. I was supposed to preach. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell nobody. Only the youth people knew it. The pastor even forgot about it. Go that Sunday morning. Make a long story short. Dad showed up to church. He wasn't saved. I got up. And they said, uh, Jeff's going to preach this morning. My dad's sunken back in the chair. He started running, I guess, down. <laughs> And uh, people were shocked. I mean, this little shy creature. Let me tell you, I had to stand up in the church, hold my hands to the back of the pew, and said, I'm giving the devil a black eye just for standing up. And I sat down. That was my testimony. And I'm supposed to preach before 550 people? I got up that morning. Nothing came out. And finally, I lifted my hands and I said, Praise God. And there was a mantle. There was an anointing. There was a power that I had never experienced in my life envelop me. And there was a boldness. And I preached a 25-minute message roughly, and three people got saved, and my dad was the first one to the altar. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I will do exceeding and abundantly above anything you ever ask or think of me. I get to the end of the service, shake the hands. I'm left alone in the church with my pastor. And I'm weeping. He said, what's wrong? I said, I feel like a backslid. He laughed. I said, this isn't funny. I said, I feel dirty. He said, son, the anointing lifted. I said, you mean to tell me I've got to go through this every time I preach? <laughs> he said, possibly. But I knew that I knew that I knew. Friend, there's a lot of people who can preach about it a lot better than I can. But there isn't anybody that can preach a better gospel than I can. And I know that I know that I know I'm called of God, and you can't talk me out of it. You can't buy me out of it, because I know that's how it was confirmed to me. And I'm still stubborn that way, and I'm still hard-headed that way. Call it whatever you want, but I've got to know that I know it's God. And God can help us in that capacity. Let me hurry. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of, of me. The yoke suggests doing things together, putting into practice what God has already taught you. Let me close. Finally, we must do God's will from the heart. Ephesians 6, 6. I can't read my writing. Look it up. Ephesians 6. <laughs> That's a shame. Lord, have mercy. It says something about the heart. <laughs> Anybody got it real quick? A little louder, please, if you don't mind. Real louder. Ephesians 6 says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Obey the will of God from your heart. God's will comes from his heart. Our will back to him should come from our heart.